Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Fiction. Science fiction. Horror. Fantasy. Crime. LGBT. Thriller. You Okay, welcome back into the House of Mystery. And of course, I'm Al Warren. And on the other side of the country, I have Mr. David North Martino. Wow, you used my full name this time. <laughs> I, I, yeah, you know, I thought I'd have respect. It's a respectful show today. That's right. I'm calling Shotgun, right? <laughs> okay. Oh. So the next year. Yeah, well, the other side of the world. The other side of the world, yeah, in, <laughs> in the basement. Hey, um, so another day, and what's going on today? Um, we have got a great guest, someone you've been a fan of. You yes, absolutely. Talk about her all the my time. Area. Yeah, well, that's, so there's got to be somebody that does something right in your area. <laughs> um, so now, um, she's written, this is her 14th book uh, coming out, and it comes out on the 14th, and, um, geez, it's called Her Perfect Life. Our guest is the uh, great Hank Philippi Ryan. Thank you for being here. Oh, my pleasure. I, you two are quite the team, I have to say. It's really, I'm just sitting here laughing, listening to you both. Oh, and we're, we're in the calm mode today. I am we're, in trouble. We're in the let's behave ourselves, you know. That would be a first. Yeah, it would be, you're right. It would be, yeah. Well, they, they don't have to cut too much out of the shows, you know. I find this very interesting because you started out as kind of a reporter, right? Is that kind of what you did to begin with? Oh, golly, I'm still on the air on Channel 7 in Boston as an investigative oh. reporter. But I did, start, oh. I did start out as kind of a reporter. I think you put that beautifully in 19... 19- 
70-something. I was a reporter for Rolling Stone magazine and then for a radio station in Indianapolis. So I have been on the air for a long time. Well, how do you keep so young? <laughs> That's because it's radio. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. <laughs> so you can't see me. No, I've, yeah. I'm, I'm still on the air in Boston and have won 37 Emmys for investigative reporting. And I still love being a journalist. So I sort of lead a double life as half a reporter and half a crime fiction author. How do you find the time? Uh, you know, when I ask that, with respect, I just mean that to do to do a good job, right? It's, it takes a lot of work um, writing a book, putting it all together, plus being a reporter. Well, laundry was the first to go, you know, and yeah. then, you know, <laughs> then cooking. Um, my husband is extremely supportive of this. Um, he is a criminal defense attorney, a truly good and passionate. Zealous advocate of the law, and we both have really wonderful careers that we embrace. I, I remember when I started writing my first book, I I sort of hit the wall because I had no idea what I was doing, and I called my mom as we do if we're lucky, and I said, I love this book, I think it'll work, but I'm not quite sure I can do it. I'm not quite sure I can balance my reporting and my crime fiction writing. And my mom paused, and then she said. Well, dear, you will if you want to. And I, and I think that's the answer. You know, we can all do what we want to do. There's this passion and obsession and compulsion and need and desire. Um, and we just figure out how to make our lives work. We get this one chance to do it. So we might as well do it. Yeah. Well, I, I can relate. I do that myself. Only, um, I don't have a life. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, oh, we, we might need your husband's name and number, too, just in case. We need yeah, yeah, I, I bet you that, too. Yeah, I bet you do. Well, <laughs> there's a few times, you know, it gets a little bit. Um, well, that's, so what, okay, so you're a reporter, you're working for the Rolling Stone and, 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 and other things, and you're kind of moving along. What gave you the, um, let's say, what was the fire that gave you the courage to decide to actually write that book? the first one, and decide that you want to get it published and put it out there so people can read it. Yeah, isn't that a journey? I mean, what an uh -huh. interesting question that is. And um, it really taught me this whole thing about how you never know um, when you'll have a good idea or you'll never know what wonderful thing is around the next corner. Um, you never know how your life will change. You know, we hardly even know what to hope for from time to time because things are just, as we know right now, so surprising. Um, I had always been interested in mysteries and thrillers. I grew up in really rural Indiana, so rural that you couldn't see another house from our house. And my sister and I used to ride our ponies to the library and get books and throw up the saddlebags <laughs> with books and read up in the hayloft of the barn behind our house. And I was such a nerdy, geeky little girl. You know, I had no friends except for the characters and books. And I started with Nancy Drew, but then it was really Sherlock Holmes. I started reading Sherlock Holmes when I was, what, 10-ish or so? And I loved that mystery and the character and the clues and the surprises. And then I read Agatha Christie's Murder on the Orient Express. And I thought, have you read that? I mean, that's just a classic. And if you haven't, I won't give it away. But the ending is so shocking and so inevitable that that made me think, how terrific it would be 
to be able to write a story that would be surprising and engaging and engrossing and compelling. But I also thought it might be fun to be a detective. It might be cooler to be Sherlock Holmes than it would be to write Sherlock Holmes. So I became a journalist. And that's sort of like being a detective. But fast forwarding till about 15 years ago, I was at work at Channel 7 at my desk as a reporter, getting ready to go out on a story, and I opened a spam email by mistake. And it was back in the day when spam filters weren't as good as they are now, and you would spend the first time moments of the day, you remember this, you too, just deleting spam so you could just go ahead and read the real email. And I opened a spam by mistake, and the subject line of the spam said, a new refinancing deal for you. But the body of the spam was what looked like lines from a Shakespearean play. So I majored in Shakespeare in college, and I didn't recognize that as a Shakespearean play, but it was that era. And I thought, why would somebody have a, put out a spam that millions of people were going to see, and with the subject line, a new refinancing deal for you, but with the subject matter being dialogue from a play. And my brain, and I know this sounds strange, but this is what really happened, my brain whispered to me, maybe it's a secret message. And I thought, oh my gosh, secret messages in computer spam? Are you kidding me? That is a great idea for a murder mystery. That was, it was just blossomed in my head instantly. And I went home and I said to my husband, sweetheart, I've got a great idea for a novel. I'm going to write a murder mystery. And Jonathan says, great, honey. <laughs> he says, do you know how to write a book? And I said, oh, how hard can it be? You know, I've read a million of them. And I've, I soon learned how hard it would be. It was crazy difficult. But some sort of combination of, you know, naivete and confidence that all writers have to have a little of each. And I wrote my first novel, and that was Primetime, and it won the Agatha for Best First Novel, a huge honor, and that was the beginning of my crime fiction career. So it just happened by chance. You know, my brain was sort of ready for the idea when it occurred to me, but it just happened when the time was right. Does that make any sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. I just, um, I find it a Let's see. It takes a great deal of courage, but uh, in a sense that um, when I've written a book um, and put it out, um, I, some of myself goes into that, right? Some of who I am. And so what happens is uh, I'm kind of exposing some of my own emotions and feelings. I do nonfiction, and that's a slight difference. So with this book, you're doing fiction, it all comes from you. It comes from your mind, your heart, your soul. So when you put that into the paper and put it out there, you're sort of making yourself vulnerable, you know. And so that's sort of what I mean, what, what, you know, the courage to do that. That's why I say it's a courage because you're giving your emotions and, you're, and you're, you put them on paper. And in today's world, <laughs> um, everybody and their dog can tell you how they feel. Oh, you're so right in every way. I'm just... Sitting here mulling over what you're saying, you know, I've wired myself with hidden cameras and gone undercover and in disguise and chased down criminals and confronted corrupt politicians. I've had so many experiences as a reporter. I've had people confess to murder and convicted murderers insist they were not guilty and, you know, been in the basements of the courthouse and the state house and behind the scenes at the airport places where most people aren't allowed to go. But my novels aren't my television experiences 
changed into fiction. But it's that emotional element that you were just talking about that goes into it. As a reporter, and this is what I highlighted in her Perfect Life, the new book, I can never make a mistake. I can never call someone, the, you know, the reporters can never make a mistake, can never call someone the wrong name, can never miscalculate, can never be a, a minute late, never be a second late. And, and that pressure and that stress, you know, if you make a mistake, then you're, somebody will sue your station mm-hmm. or, you know, or own it. Or, you know, I've been threatened and chased and pushed down and had people stalk me and follow me home. All those kinds of vulnerabilities um, go into my book, Her Perfect Life. I mean, the, the main character, Lily Atwood, is a television reporter, ten times famous, more famous than I am. Um, and she understands the spotlight, but she be, has a secret, and she needs to keep a secret. And the key of it is... How do you keep a secret, as you're saying, in these days where everybody knows you and everybody watches you and everybody can give their opinion of you? So maybe, as it turns out, the spotlight is the most dangerous place of all. And that was part of the beginning of where her perfect life comes from. Yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting concept when I read that. I thought that was, um, I really like that. It's so fitting for today. It's so fitting for what goes on around us, you know, with the reporters and stuff, too. Like, I mean, I, I don't know how it is for you, but, you know, the last four or five years, it's been kind of gets it gets a little bit challenging for people working for news organizations. That's the best way to say it. Um, well, think about it, you, because everybody knows who you are. Right. And so um, if you were on television and your face was on television and you went to the grocery store, somebody would know who you are, and they would come up to you and talk to you because you ask them to. You know, they're, you want them to be your friends. You want them to know you. But on the other hand, you have your personal life as well. So there was really a balance, a tightrope to write about fame because a famous person is not necessarily um, relatable or engaging because we think you're famous. You know, why are you complaining? But if, if you chose the spotlight, your family didn't choose the spotlight and what kind of danger are you putting your family in when you choose to be a public person oh it's terrible you know and i hate people so much i can tell that in your voices and by what in, Se- you in seattle you know they have your face on the bus and all that and then yeah. it's like people will start talking to you in the supermarket and it's like i don't know you <laughs> you come up and look into your cart this is what you buy But they do feel, you know, and that's the thing. I embrace it completely, but we're in their living rooms every day. So they do feel like they know us. And I say, call me if you have a good story. Call me if you want to tell me something, just like Lily Atwood in the book. You know, so she is asking people to like her. She is asking people to talk with her. But there's a line, there's a line that's very difficult to keep being bright and, and, and not cross. And how do you and how do you deal with that? Especially when it's not you. Especially when it's as Lily's daughter Rowan is seven years old. How does she protect little Rowan? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Of course. You know. Uh, but may, but maybe you. I can get your number, and I'll I'll give that out anytime someone wants to. <laughs> you know, instead of calling me, they can just call you. So we can get all of LAF for you there. I don't. 
Well, that's and they can come to my website, and that then that that comes to me. But other than that, oh, okay. See, I can see, give you the yeah. phone number of some other reporters in town. Oh, there you go. Okay. Yeah, I've got that. <laughs> because this is kind of close to your heart, your life, in a sense. Do you have an underlying theme that you wanted people to pick up or get from the story? Like well, a subtext, maybe? Yes, is there no, some it's interesting that I was reading an interview with the, with the historian David McCullough once, and he was asked, do you have a theme for every book you write? And he said, yes, I do, and I write the book to find out what it is. Oh, good and, one. and that's sort of what emerges from the books. I mean, the Hank DNA in a book is about justice and about truth. And I think um, that's what we're searching for as a reporter, and that's what I'm searching for as a, as, a, as a person and as a thoughtful author, is, you know, there are not two sides to every story. There are three sides to every story, yours, mine, and the truth. And what we believe, you know, what is truth? Is it what we believe? Is it what we want to be true? Is there a true truth? And how do we as reporters and as people discover that truth? And what looks like it's true, and this is one of the things I explore in Her Perfect Life, what looks like it's true, quote, Her Perfect Life, of course isn't true. The title is meant to be ironic and suspenseful and sinister because a perfect life is very fragile. And these days, in, in more than ever, we're all trying to cope and be careful and we're all fearful and we're all still trying to feel like we have some control, but we really don't. Um, and what other people think of us and what other people tell us to do and what other, what other people make us believe. I mean, I write psychological thrillers. So a psychological thriller is not about graphic violence in any way. It's about mind games and gaslighting and deception and how people can make some people can make others believe something and how destructive and how dangerous that can be. And that's really the theme of her perfect life, this the psychological pressures that we put on each other and how what we believe to be true may not be true at all. Well, I also noticed that uh, in some of your books that I guess there's like a, um, like a secrets or a trickster motif that comes out. Is that something that's unconscious or uh, something that uh, you were just interested in, in putting into your work or something that you cultivated? Oh, David, thank you. I love that you read my books. That is just the nicest thing that I could ever hear in, the, in a million years. And yes, absolutely, 100%. Secrets are the engine of every thriller that mm. I write. I mean, that's everybody has a secret. Everybody wants to keep a secret. And everybody understands that if someone tells their secret, their entire life is at risk. Their reputation is at risk. And one of the things I explored in Her Perfect Life is... How do you keep a secret in the spotlight and that nobody tells a secret without a reason? And that's the cool part. That's the key part. That's the trickster part because somebody else, somebody who's telling your secret, what's their goal? Do they want to get something? Do they want to destroy you? Do they want to take what you have? What is the reason for that? I mean, I have 37 Emmys for investigative reporting and every one of those Emmys um, represents a secret that someone didn't want me to tell. 
right? Mm -hmm. a, some, it represents a secret that someone would rather have kept secret, but I put that on TV. I researched it, and I reported it, and I made a little movie about it, and I put it on TV. And for all the lives we've changed, all the laws we've changed, all the, all the, the difference that we've made as reporters, my producer and I, um, there are people who don't like what I did. There are people who don't <laughs> like that I told the secrets. And what happens as a result of that? And that's another thing that happens in her perfect life. Lily begins to realize that um, in her job, which is to do good and to change the world for the better, she's also making some enemies. And those en enemies may not be happy with what she did. So, so do you ever worry about any retribution uh, from, from doing that kind of work? Sure. I mean, I'm laughing. I mean, my job is not, I mean, my colleagues who work overseas, those people have a dangerous job. Those people you are, you know, you have to revere and be in awe of, of their, you know, sheer downright bravery. You know, I'm not comparing what I do to any of, of those foreign correspondents. And certainly my colleagues have been harmed by and killed even by people who are unhappy um, with what they've done. I don't live day to day by any means being afraid, but I've certainly, you know, been screamed at and threatened and pushed down and punched and stalked. I mean, I, the good part about being a television reporter is that um, I generally, when I'm out on the street reporting, I have a photographer with me. So I always say to them, if it looks like somebody's about to punch me, just make sure you're rolling so at least we get the video. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's uh, wow. It, I, that's great. I mean, what a life. Um, do you, does your husband worry about you writing these kind of books, or no? Well, I, I, you know, tell us my, a true story. He, my husband, loves that I write these books, and turns out, little did I know, he's a brilliant proofreader and a brilliant editor. Really, a thoughtful, careful reader who helps me quite a bit. I mean, as I said, he's a lawyer, so I'm writing thrillers that have to do with police and courts and law and justice, and so it's really wonderful to have um, in-house counsel for those kinds of things. You know, I'll call Jonathan and say, sweetheart, I had the legal question of the day, um, and he'll be able to help me make my books be authentic. So there's no, he embraces the whole thing just as I do. Yeah, and it's good to have that. It kind of when you're writing a fiction story, it's good to have some, to make sure everything around the setting and everything is, is very accurate. Yes, my book, The Murder List, um, which is again about justice, won the, won the Anthony for Best Novel of the Year, and that is sort of The Good Wife Meets Law and Order, um, The Murder List, and it's, um, you know, it, that kind of intense legal thriller, that John Grishamy kind of legal thriller. One of the keys to that is that it really has to be authentic. And I know about, I've covered a million court cases and murder cases and so many trials and Klaus von Bülow and many notorious murder trials. And so I know the system, but those little details, I wanted to make really certain that I got right in all my books. I mean, he and I are both interested in justice, right? In, in what is justice and what is punishment and what is the proper, you know, what is guilt and what does that mean? And is there, are there different kinds of justice, legal justice, moral justice, cosmic justice, personal justice? All those kinds of things are fascinating to me. 
So who is Lily Atwood? Lily Atwood is the main character uh, in my new book, Her Perfect Life, which got starred reviews from Kirkus and Publishers Weekly, which is fantastic to do. Lily Atwood is a television reporter in Boston. She's got fame. She's got fortune. She's got Emmys. She's got a darling seven-year-old daughter. She also has a deep, dark secret. Um, and every, But everybody knows Lily Atwood, and that may be her biggest problem because how do you keep a secret in the spotlight? So there was a great thing on um, Facebook that said, can you describe your book in five sentences? And I thought, well, that won't be hard to do. And then I thought, ooh, that's hard to do. But what I came up with was a reporter with a deep, dark secret, a, a missing and a missing college student, and that's not the secret, an anonymous news source, a clandestine weekend in Aspen, and a child's pink suitcase, which is surprisingly empty. So it's two strong women facing off in a high-stakes psychological cat-and-mouse game to prove their truth about a childhood betrayal. But which woman is the cat? and which woman is the mouse, and that is her perfect life. It's about, it's about sisters, betrayal, guilt, fame, and revenge. Hmm. So when you write a character like Lily, um, where do you draw from? What inspires you to create that character? Like what is it about the character that you – you bring up like, and where do you pull that from? Like, so you're, so you're sitting there, let's see, and you want to describe this character and when situations happen to this character, how they react and, and, and what they do. So how is it that that comes together for you? Like you just go to the coffee shop and you sort of look at someone and kind of listen to what they say and do and kind of pick that up or where does it come from? No. You know, I mean, if you take my whole life experience and just tuck that into my brain somewhere, so we're all drawing on that well of people we've seen and things we've heard and what things we've done and situations we've been in. But, you know, I know you've talked to actors, for instance, about method acting and how actors say they become the character. They, they be the character. I know Laurence Olivier, I read, once said that he was nobody until he was given the character to be to portray in, in a movie or in a play. And so almost it's almost method acting what I do as a writer. I know that my posture even is different when I'm writing the heroine Lily Atwood or the, her mysterious producer Greer Whitfield um, or the missing college student Cassie Atwood. I, I know my body language is even different as I'm writing and I make myself if this seems, if this is understandable, I make myself be that character and I figure out what would that character really do. That character. Not me, Hank, what I would really do. But what does this character want? How far will they go to get it? How much will they risk to get what they want? And then I become that person and then I write what they say and what they do and what they think and I figure out what decisions they would make. And that's what I think is the fun thing for readers, is that sometimes a character will do something and you think, oh, sister, I wouldn't do that. And no, you might not, but Lily would. 
because Lily wants something, or Greer wants something, or Cassie wants something, or Sam wants something. What would they do to get that? And that's what I think makes the good story is when you have a character who's, who desires something so deeply, and then they hit an obstacle on, the, on their way to getting that thing, what decision do they make at that moment? And that decision is what propels the story. That decision is what reveals their personality. And then that decision is what makes the action continue. I'm wondering, do you have, um, when you're writing these characters, do you have an inner monologue? Can you hear the character in your head? I know I know. I, um, I hear voices. <laughs> <laughs> no, so I don't know if it's uh, more images. <laughs> so. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Or, or if you actually hear them and, and, and kind of transcribe what you're hearing in your mind. You know, yes. I mean, I heard an interview between Stephen King and Lee Child, of all crazy interviews, <laughs> at Harvard. It was amazing. And each of them said separately something that I that happens to me too. And that is, if you're lucky when you're writing, there is a moment when you absolutely, David, feel that you are transcribing what someone else is saying or thinking. Now, you can't 
it doesn't always happen and you can't make that happen but sometimes it happens and there are times when I am typing and I'm typing as fast as I possibly can and I'm not even really thinking about it I'm not choosing words and then when I'm finished I think wow where did that come from who wrote that I don't remember really writing that now let me just say that there are other days when I think I have no idea I, I just I don't I don't even know what to write and then I write one sentence and I think that is the stupidest sentence that there has ever been <laughs> and then I think okay just try again write another one because you can fix it later so David yeah you know there is a when the story visits you you just have to take it in and let it let it drain through your brain and out your fingers and onto the page because and then you count your blessings and then you know that you're having a wonderful day as an author yeah, it's too bad David wasn't a writer. But <laughs> well, the hearing voices thing, you know, you yeah, yeah. You, you don't even need to have radio. You can just hear your own. <laughs> That's yeah, right. He's just very entertaining. Uh, yeah, 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 it can be, but he's dangerous. Um, <laughs> okay, someone picks up uh, her perfect life. Take it home and read it. Um, is there something you want them to get out of that book? What is it you hope that a reader takes away? You know, I hope they never watch television the same way again or think about reporters the same way again. I think that um, reporters, television reporters especially, since that's what Lily Atwood is, have a, a life on television, this glossy, perfect-looking life. But who are they underneath? What are their fears underneath? What decisions have they made in the past that have come back to haunt them? Um, I, it'd be fun to have people think of reporters as real people. It would be fun to have people realize um, that decisions they make about people they see on television may not be true. Also, to understand the power of guilt, how much guilt makes people do things and that might be destructive, how much we how much we care about our families, how far we would go. You know, what if something like this happened to you? What would you do? I, I think especially today um, in terrible pandemic times, I always say it's always safe inside a book. So inside a book, you're in someone else's world. You're solving someone else's problems. You're dealing with someone else's dilemmas. You're rooting for someone um, to what? To be happy and to be safe. So my books are, you know, they're, they're fast-paced, page-turning, psychological thrillers. They are, they have to be entertaining. They have to be. I don't want you to put this book down when you're starting to read. I want you to miss your stop on the subway, you know, because you're, you're reading so hard. Or stay up one more chapter when you're, when you're reading late. But there also is the theme of justice and truth and the reality of the spotlight in these days of how everybody can know everything and everybody can tell everything, how do you keep, a, how do you keep your privacy, um, especially when you have sought out the spotlight? So the dark side of the spotlight, the darker side of celebrity, and when you think you're doing something good, how wrong you might be. Hmm. Yeah, do, do you... Um... Do you compare your writing, perhaps? Like, I'm just trying to think of the type of suspense or thriller. Do you sort of, like, um, go back to something like Alfred Hitchcock, that sort of thing, uh, more than actual um, 
let's say, murder or destruction. It's more about suspense of it. Oh, it's completely, yes, 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 you're so right. It's completely about suspense. You know, Harlan Coben once told me to write the kind of book you love to read. So I don't, and, and because if you love, you're writing a book that you would love to read, then that passion will come through on the pages. And so I, I, I don't like graphic violence, and I don't like graphic sex, and I don't like inappropriate, ugly language. I like gaslighting, mind games, deception, psychological power games. And so that's what my books are. That's what I go back to, the, 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 the destruction that we can inflict on each other by just the power of psychology and emotion and desire. That's, that's what my books are like. So, yeah, you know, I think Alfred Hitchcock is such a mentor, Patricia Highsmith, and more currently um, Lisa Jewell and Liv Constantine, those um, beautiful settings, a little bit glamorous. Some of the characters are a little bit glamorous, but the problems are relatable and engaging. We all care about our families. We all care about our careers. We all care about being loved. Uh, and that, you know, and somebody, we all have secrets. We all have secrets. And that's the essence of these books. Has a character ever done anything to surprise you? Always, you know, always. It's crazy. I mean, that's again one of the most one of the most fascinating things about being a writer is that you know, as I was saying earlier, you know, you sometimes you're writing something and you think, whoa, where did that come from? Mm. Um, and because when the characters are have become fully formed, which usually happens for me maybe halfway through the book, when the characters have become fully formed, they do take action, and they take action in a couple of ways. One one is that they'll do something. And that means I'm writing something that I'm that I didn't expect to write. So okay, I go with it. And sometimes I'll be trying to write something and they won't do it. They won't they won't let me do it. There was one book that I wrote where one of the characters, I honestly envisioned her standing there with her, you know, fists planted on her waist saying, I'm not gonna do that. And I'm and I'm like, yeah, you are, you have to, because um, I have to finish this book, and in order to have this book work, you have to do X, Y, and Z. And she's like, no, I'm not doing that. And and she was right, and I had to think of another way to, to write that scene. And once I did what she, what she would really do, it made the scene so much better. I mean, it was a life-changing moment when I realized that when the character comes to life, exactly as you say, David, when the character comes to life, they do, I mean, it's not woo-woo, it's not magic, I'm, I'm not, it's not any of that. <laughs> it's just something that happens when you're writing. When a character comes to life, um, it seems to work. When you make them be true to themselves, whether that's them doing something, it may be that them doing something surprising, something they never thought they would do. And that's part of the books as well. You know, somebody takes one step, over a line and then another step over a line and another step over a line a little bit at a time and soon you realize you're someplace where you never planned to be and how did that happen and it's because you made these little tiny but life-changing decisions so what's the process for Hank like what do you, you know and I ask this because 
you are a reporter and you are doing other things. You know, you've got a life and things going on. How do you set up your writing time? And are you the type of writer that can go, well, okay, I've got 8 to 11 on Tuesday. And you block it off and then you can go sit and just write for those three hours? Or do you have to wait till the mood is right? <laughs> I have one more quote for you. There was a journalist named Peter DeVries, and he said, um, I only write when I'm inspired, and I make sure I'm inspired every morning at 9.15. You know, that, that's sort of how it goes. You know, my, my, my career as a, as a writer is a job. You know, I have a contract with a New York publisher, and they are expecting my book on time. And if my book isn't on time, you know, the copy editor and the developmental editor and the editor editor and the production people and the cover people and the binding people and the printing people and the and the distribution people and the sales people, they're all off they're all off schedule. So I have to be finished with my book um, at the time that I have to be finished with my book. So I am very organized about that. I know how many words I have to write a day in order to be finished a month before the deadline so I can make the edits that I need to make, so I can work on that glorious fun of having revisions. So I am not casual about it at all. I am extremely organized about it because this is my job and this is what I have to do. I get to do it. I'm thrilled. I'm delighted. I don't mean have to, but um, there are elements of work about it um, that I know I have to be on time and good. That's a lot of pressure. Um, it's a lot of wonderful pressure, and I embrace it thoroughly. Yeah, but I'm a star. They can just <laughs> That'll never happen. I mean, I think about it. You know, if I, if I said to my news director at Channel 7, if I said, you know, you, I'm not really feeling it, so could I be on the 6 o'clock news at 10 after 6 instead? You know, how long would I have lasted? So one of the things I've learned over all these years as a reporter is about making deadlines, and that is just something you don't miss. Well, in your free time, if you have any free time, do you do anything special to recharge? Uh, free time. What is this free time <laughs> that you that? <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm really terrible at free time. I'm terrible. <laughs> if I had free time, I would think, oh, no, I'm supposed to be doing something. So I will admit to you mm. that I am not the greatest relaxer. Mm. Yeah, I guess I, I read. I cook. I'm a pretty good cook. Um, I love to curl up and read. That happens less and less. But um, I would not miss that. I do several shows that have to do with interviewing authors, which means I get to read their novels, which are the novels I'd read anyway, and that's, and that's mm. fun. So a lot of my fun reading is preparation for interviewing the authors, which makes it even better. Mm. But my husband and I, you know, our house, we live in the suburbs of Boston, and our house has gardens, and we walk outside and look at the flowers and pick the little tiny tomatoes and at night we'll take a walk and look at the stars and sort of count our blessings a little bit uh, that we can do that. Mm, yeah. So sort of being at peace with the world and the universe and taking one step at a time, I guess that's how I relax. Book. Now, someone that's never read anything from you before, what book would you suggest they pick up first? What, what's kind of your favorite book for them to read? That's a fun question because, you know, I've written, you know, I'm writing my 14th book now, and I, each book is the best it can be for the time that I wrote the book. So my very first book, Prime Time, 
which, as I said, won the Agatha for Best Novel. That I love that book. It's hilarious. I mean, it's lighthearted. It's a little bit of a lighter sensibility. It's sort of Nick and Nora Charles. It's a, it's a fun mystery. But as my writing career has progressed, um, I think my the I try to raise the bar on myself with every book. I try to challenge myself to be more unique, more compelling, more riveting, more more of a page turner. So I love her perfect life, and it's a standalone which means there are no, it's not in a series, there's no sequels or prequels or books that come after it. This is the one most important thing that's ever happened in this character's life. So I would say start with her perfect life. Um, I think you can't go wrong with that. Hmm. You know, um, I wonder if, um, you know, you sort of say that um, it's kind of like method acting, you know, um, when you do your characters and you're you're doing your writing. So, does that mean you're like Daniel Day Lewis? Like you really get into it? Do you dress up like your character? And, <laughs> you, know. you know, this is this is the pandemic. Nobody dresses up as anything, right? Um, <laughs> well, you'd so. be surprised. No, I mean, David. first of all, it's very easy to, for me to dress up as a reporter. This is what I do yeah. every day. So, no, you know, I just it's it's emotional. It's mental, and I do. And there is some physicality that comes to it. I know that my posture is different when I'm writing different characters, but I don't think that's something that I actively do. I think that's something that, you know, the the inspiration comes first and the method acting comes second. It's sort of all of a muchness. Hmm. Now, where do you want people to come find you? Like, do you give out your street address or phone number or <laughs> yeah, website? You know, those people are already here, I have to say. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, my, yes, of course, thank you. I'm on Instagram and Twitter as at Hank P. Ryan, and Facebook, Hank Philippi Ryan Author. My website is hankphilippiryan.com, and that will tell you all of the other activities that I'm involved in, First Chapter Fun, and The Back Room, uh, and A Mighty Blaze, all of those places you can find me. And if you go to my website, hankphilippiryan.com, and click on Contact, that does come directly to me. There's no middle person in that email. So if anyone would like to contact me, I'd love to hear from readers and hankphilippiryan.com will tell you all about me and all about my books and all about where to find me safely. <laughs> we will have all that uh, linked to our site as well so people can find it when they're listening. One click and it's done. Um, how was uh, this pandemic thing? I, I've heard about it, but um, <laughs> did it affect your writing, uh, and I mean that not only as in, of course, lockdown, it changed everyone's behavior and what you have access to, but I mean that when there's all this tension going on outside, you know, um, you're a reporter, you know, fake news, and, and you've got all this stuff going on. Um, do, do you think that kind of makes you write darker, or do you think that seeps into your writing, maybe? Uh isn't it interesting how we don't hear about fake news anymore? Um, <laughs> I still get it. So. <laughs> uh, it's interesting because um, a real reporter from an honorable news outlet, there is no such thing as fake news. And that is really one of the things that, has, that was destructive and disturbing to me. Um, the pandemic has been so... Oh, golly, life-changing, obviously, so silly. But I remember I was on the, I guess it was March 12, 2020, and I was on book tour. I was on book tour in Palm Beach. And I had to, and it was just remember when everything was starting and people were starting to be terrified. 
And here I was out of town in a room with 250 people, and I was really afraid. And I gave this speech, and it was about the murder list. And I was extremely excited about it, extremely enthusiastic about it. But it was all I could do not to run out of the room and get to the airport to get home. And I don't think I went anywhere since then. Um, and I remember trying to write on the airplane on the way home, because usually I'm really good at writing on airplanes. It's a really enclosed spot with kind of a enforced deadline. And it's, it's a way not to have to talk to anyone. You know, I'm working, working, working. <laughs> now you're talking. Yeah. And, um, but it, was, it took me a couple of weeks to be able to get to write again uh, in the pandemic. Because even though what I do most of the time is sit by myself in my room right here where I am right now and write, I was so terrified uh, and so unsettled and so uncertain that that fear sort of infused everything that I did. And I kept thinking, I can't write, I have to go watch the news. You know, I can't write, I have to go freeze blueberries or something. I, you know, I was... I, I have to go buy toilet paper. Yeah, well, and um, all that kind of... That was very distracting in a very terrifying kind of way. But I did come to the conclusion that it was always safe inside my manuscript. Um, where I was in another world. And that's what sort of got me back on track to doing what I love, which is writing these novels. I was working on Her Perfect Life at the time. Um, and th the fact that Her Perfect Life lived is sort of a testament to how I, as a writer, managed to come back during the pandemic and persevere during the pandemic and even succeed, knock on wood, during the pandemic, so it was it was quite a process. Hmm. I wonder, but I wonder if we if we're going to look back at this in ten, twenty years, and look back at your work, for instance, and and if you're going to notice some things that are different in your writing. You know, I I wonder about that. It'll be interesting. I've always been sort of careful. My characters, my main characters, are, characters always are grateful for things. I mean, I think one of the things that um, one of the characteristics of my people that I love are that they're grateful for their lives um, in different ways. And I, and I do think that gratitude um, might be something that uh, becomes even more amplified as the time goes by. I mean, I remember I was at, the, at Channel 7 during uh, September 11th, and it was incredibly difficult. And we were in Boston, and of course that was part of the center of this, where one of the planes took off. And um, I remember thinking, I can do anything because, because I'm not dead. You know, and I, I think that is the same as the pandemic. You know, you, you think, I'm here, and I'm not going to waste this time. And I think that's something that we will all be emphasized as the days continue. Yeah, I sort of wonder how the generation that's born into this this time period or is very young i wonder how that will change how they are as adults and know. i and i have um, a stepdaughter who whose mother grandmother was in the pandemic of of 1918 and i said oh i'd love to hear what she said about it and my stepdaughter said well we never asked her about it because it just didn't seem important when we were growing up so mm -hmm. i think there is a, a better record of this pandemic and I think it will be more top of mind um, for 
for many more generations than than the last one was. Mm. Don't you? Yeah, I hope so. I mean, um, mind you, I, I'm sort of surprised in a way about how a lot of people are dealing with the pandemic, you know, the anti-mask and, and all of the stuff going on out there, the my science versus your science and all of this sort of stuff. Um, I'm, I'm sort of a little bit confused on behavior by so many people. So I don't know. Yep, I'm with you. You know, I think that, that in itself, that confusion um, is going to add a little bit of, I, I don't want to say negativity, but it, it isn't going to be the best thing. But then uh, young people now are going to be very confused on on things, I, I think, anyway. I, I, I don't know. Well, you know, um, um, I'm old, so who cares, right? <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, it's always a good conversation uh, talking to other reporters and people in the business and um What's next? You said you've got another book that you're currently working on? Yes, which is due in three weeks. And I, ah. <laughs> you know, my, that deadline is looming. Um, I'm very excited about my new book. But I'm also, and I'm working on it like crazy. And if my editor is listening, it will be done on time. Um, I'm also right in the midst of launching Her Perfect Life. And that is always such an incredibly exciting time. I can't believe, talking about the pandemic, I can't believe this is my second pandemic launch which is completely sad and terrible. But what I embrace so fully is that, you know, I can do so many online events, so many Zooms and StreamYards, and everybody around the world can come to these events, and I will be able to see and talk to people that I wouldn't have been able to see if I were just at my local bookstore here in Massachusetts or even flying around the country, as I used to do so much, you know, in the old days, book tour, the last book, in 2019, I was on the road for weeks and weeks and weeks talking to bookstores and libraries and events. This time, I'm just sitting here right where I'm talking to you. Um, but I'm still on book tour, and I'm still thrilled. And launching the new book, Her Perfect Life, again, is such a joy. I'm so excited about it. Well, you know, and, and before we go, so uh, everybody in L.A., they want to know. They want to know. An exclusive. <laughs> This is an exclusive. Hank Philippi Ryan is going to tell us. What's something that your fans don't know about you? Oh, yikes. Secret. See, they, don't like know, the they know everything. They know everything. They know no, that I cannot just... sing. I, not a note. It's <laughs> terrible. I don't know if they know this, actually. Um, I can't sing at all. It is a disaster. It, uh, my father um, was had perfect pitch and could play the piano and was a musician and a composer and the music critic for the Chicago Daily News for years and years, completely musical. I got none of that. I, if I sang a song, you would not know what it was. I mean, I can hear that it's wrong. I just can't make it be right. So all my dreams of being Linda Ronstadt, you know, just down the drain. Oh, well, there we go. So now we know. We know it's true. Well, and also, I'm so unathletic. In high school, briefly, I was a majorette. Um, and I know you, that's a picture that you don't want to have in your mind. But um, I was so terrible that the band director said, just, I'm going to put you in the middle of the back row, and you just pretend to twirl. You just pretend to twirl. <laughs> and I, you know what? I think that's what I do in my whole life now. Some days as a writer, I think I have no, what I do, no idea what I'm doing. I'm just going to pretend to twirl. And sometimes that works. Do you ever do you get that, that complex, that writer's you know, guilt complex sort of thing, like, do you feel like one day all of a sudden you're going to wake up and people are going to know you're not a writer, that sort of thing? Daily. 
I mean, I, I don't think I've ever <laughs> spoken to an author who doesn't have that sort of imposter syndrome. And there is, I, I can, my husband will be the first to tell you that for every book I've ever written, everyone, there is a moment when I go to my husband and I'll say, oh, sweetheart, I can't do this. This isn't going to work. I have no idea. These people are just yammering, and I have no idea what's going to happen, and I can't do it. And Jonathan says, you always say that, honey. And I say, okay, but this might be the time that I'm right. You know, <laughs> this might be the time. And Jonathan says, you always say that, too. So <laughs> it is part of the rite of passage of writing is that fear uh, and that loss of confidence, and what I do, I just go on. I just advance the story. I just write the next sentence. I just think, well, maybe I have no idea how to write a book, but that's what I thought the last time, and look at that. It worked. So I look at those awards on my shelf behind me, and I think I had fears before, and I was wrong. So I'm hoping I'm wrong again, and this book will work just like the other ones did. Mm. Well, look at you. You've done it all. I'll tell you, you are just great. Um, and your editor, if your editor's listening, look, this is a star you've got here. Aww. She needs more than three weeks. You give her more than three weeks. Okay? And if you have a problem with that, you you call me. Don't tempt me. <laughs> yeah, you call me, okay? you got, you got to treat this, this. This this lady's doing the job. Ah, well, the book, Her Perfect Life, available everywhere on the 14th. And uh, the author has been our guest, Hank Philippi Ryan. Thank you for being here. Oh, my complete pleasure. I love talking to you both. Thank you so much for inviting me. What an honor. Thanks, Hank. Tired of wasting time trying to decide what to watch on your streaming service? Go to our website and look for the Martino Movie Reviews. To find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. The mission has been completed. The end! By George, he's got it! It is the end! I'll see you. You're lying to me. I'll be back. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.